Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Good morning. Hey, all right. It must be Mother's Day. You, you pulled every card imaginable to get the fam up and in here. Nicely done, Debbie. Nicely done. Good morning. Um, welcome. We got any moms in the house? Anybody? Anybody? A couple? Nice. Nice. It's mother, you know, I, I like to think it's Mother's Day every day, uh, but no moms agree with that. So uh, my wife this morning said, you know, I don't want to cook today. And so we're not cooking today, guys. We're not. We're not. At the Erie House, there is uh, DoorDash. Are you familiar with this? You can order from restaurants and they deliver it for like four bucks. I, I, I feel that's in our future. Very exciting. My wife said, hey, could you wear a different shirt today? I said, okay. So I got blue on. <laughs> wear a blue shirt today in honor of Mother's Day. I have a suit I normally wear, but that suit um, does not fit. It's actually too big, which I've never had that problem with. Yeah, come on. Come on. Um, all right, so a couple of things. Number one, welcome. If you are new, welcome to our community, and um, we're really glad you're here. You can check out more at voxoc.com, and you can find out more about us. You can sign up for something called a new to Vox dinner. You can let us know you were here, sign up for information, all of those wonderful things. Um, we have uh, just, we're wrapping up over the course of the next couple of weeks, things called table fellowships, which are... Um, uh, places, uh, folks that open up their homes in Orange County, and you can go and sit and have dinner conversation. Um, They're just, it's literally a meal and sitting together with folks from the community, and that is it. You can sign up for those as well. A couple of things. One, our very own Izzy Ray, uh, who leads worship, has a new album out, and, um, and so we celebrated, we had a lot of celebrating with her on Tuesday when it dropped, uh, and uh, so if you want to check that out in iTunes, um, it's, it's absolutely amazing, and so, and Izzy's mom is here with her today uh, leading worship, which we're excited about. Her name's Crystal, and um, good morning. I love, you can tell who got drug here this morning by moms playing the church card. You can just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anyone is, that's true, but you can just see it in the faces. A uh, couple, okay, so that was one thing. Izzy Ray's got a new album. Second thing, um, I want to pray for the moms in the house uh, because, and we've talked about this before, um, Mother's Day and any, like Father's Day, both, those can be great days, if you've got a mom or you are a mom and you have great relationships with your kids, but they can also be days that are pretty painful. Um, if you've wanted to, had, uh, wanted to have kids and could not, or for whatever reason you're estranged or your mom or your kids aren't here with you, I mean, it's any number of things. And so we always want to celebrate. If you've got a great day ahead of you, man, thank Jesus for that. Um, and if you are somebody that's like, today isn't just like the greatest day ever, uh, we just want to pray for that. So let's pray together, and then we'll dive into a little bit of Q&A, all right? So Lord Jesus, we thank you so very much for the women through whom you've given us life. Dads get maybe 5% credit. Um, we know moms did the work. 
Um, and we're grateful for all of uh, those in our community who get to celebrate on a day like today. Uh, and we pray that you would draw near to the brokenhearted today. Uh, those that uh, would have wanted to have kids and, and for whatever reason have not or could not. Uh, those um, who are feeling anxiety for their mothers, uh, for their health, or um, uh, for, the, for distance in the relationship. God, we recognize that for some, this is a very hard day. And we pray that you would draw close to the brokenhearted, and you are a father to the fatherless, and you are a mother to the motherless. And I pray, God, that this, uh, there would be a, a sense here that we get to be family together, regardless of what our biological family's like. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask your blessing, particularly on all of those who have uh, brought joy and have exercised influence in our lives to bring us to this point. We honor you and we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are big fans of questions and less big fans of answers, but we give it our best shot. So this is the number to which you can text in questions. And uh, we've, got, we've got a bunch uh, because uh, over the last couple of weeks, so number one, let's fire it up. Hi. Well, hello. When are we going to talk about the Noah story? So many questions, things I can't wrap my head around, things that make me very sad. Also, two pre-Christian friends of mine said they could not believe because of that story. One from an intellectual point, the size of the ark and all the animals thing. And the other, an emotional standpoint, babies dying in the flood, etc. What do I say to that? It kind of haunts me if you know what I mean. Right? It always strikes me that that, like, the Noah story is always what we put in our nurseries, you know, or, or um, you know, like our children's Bibles. It's like, here, here's, here's, you know, it's, it's a nice ark and animals, but you never show, like, all of the people who've died underneath the water. And, and um, so I cannot do justice to that in... 10 seconds, so let's do a podcast on that one, because that, that is a big, big deal, and um, I love that you asked that question, and I totally get why people, uh, this would be a stumbling block for some people. Um, it is, it's an interesting, interesting story, and so, um, so I'm going to, oh, I, I also want you to realize, when you text in questions, some of those we answer on Facebook, so every Thursday, um, we answer questions uh, via Facebook Live, and so sometimes if they're not here, that's where they are, so just want to let you know about that, or sometimes we'll just do a whole podcast out of them, and that'll be one, uh, this'll be one we'll do. Next. I know it's safe to be long, but is it safe to be short? That's funny. That's funny. Yes. Yes. Let's hear for the short people. Anyone five, five or under? Right here. Raise your hand. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, so last week, a guy named Ronnie uh, taught about suffering. What do I do when there is no one who will sit with me in my suffering? Uh, and um, the first thing you do is you cry out for help. We have folks who will do exactly that. Um, part of what a church family does is sit with each other in suffering. And so we have a whole crew of people called community pastors whose job it is, because of their giftedness and their joy, uh, to sit with others in the midst of the hard questions. And so if that's you, please, the, the aloneness of suffering is one of the hardest components of it. And so we never want anyone to feel that way. So please let one of us know 
uh, that you're feeling alone in that. And we would be honored to pray, we'd be honored to sit, we'd be honored to listen, we'd be honored to speak, we'd be just honored to walk with you in the midst of that. The last thing uh, we want for anybody is just to sit alone in whatever's going on. So we wanna be really intentional about that. Next. What advice would you give to a couple who comes from different religious backgrounds, i.e. a Catholic and a Christian? First of all, I, I, I never, I'm never a huge fan of that distinction because I've met Christians who aren't Christians and I've met Catholics who are Christians and I mean, I just don't, I don't have this like, I know some people do have this very hard distinction between Christian and Catholic and I'm like, well, I get that there are pretty substantial differences but if it's the faith is oriented around Jesus, then you follow Jesus, right? I mean, so... I, I get there are faith traditions and differences in that way, but I, I don't make that hard and fast distinction like some do. One is a bit more open-minded, in my opinion, because it's me, LOL. <laughs> and the other struggles with being open to exploring Christianity uh, via Catholic traditions, thanks in advance. Um, what advice would you give to a couple who comes from different religious backgrounds? Okay, first of all, um, there's a ton you can learn from each other, so that is a beautiful thing. Secondly, I would explore both aspects. I wouldn't, I wouldn't demand that one do one and one do the other. I would say, hey, let's explore this whole thing together as a couple. Um, thirdly, I think that in any relationship with something uh, like this, of this significance and importance, um, communication is the absolute, absolute most important thing. And so um, I don't know how to give more general advice to it than that, simply because I don't know, like, if the openness is we're open to becoming Christian, if we're open to becoming Catholic, if we're open to, so I don't know any of that other than um, when, like, my wife and I have these significant sorts of conversations, learning to communicate in the midst of how serious this is is utterly the most important thing. So my advice is awesome, keep exploring, keep learning, um, explore all the traditions. There are so many beautiful churches and so much diversity in the body of Jesus that uh, no, no one exclusive strand has exclusive claim to all the beauty of Jesus. So I think that's a great thing. Next. Oh man, if fallen angels or demons were able to sleep with women in Genesis and create Nephilim, slash giants. Can demons do the same thing in today's time and create Nephilim in our world today? And on that same token, since Satan is considered a fallen angel demon, can Satan procreate with humans? Well, let's do a podcast on that one, all right? <laughs> the Nephilim thing's really interesting. That is really interesting. And it's like, so I'm thinking about doing an Embarrassed by the Bible series of podcasts. So I'm thinking Noah would be a great one, and Nephilim would be a great one. So, and there are kids in here, so I'm not even going to try. So great one, that'll be a podcast. All right, last one, man. What if someone cannot see you in the midst of your pain, but expect the opposite in return? No, I don't know any relationships like that. Or one person demands something from the other, but doesn't give it in return. Come on, married folks, that doesn't happen ever, Right? Should you continue a relationship with them? Is community important? If so, how much should it be valued? I don't know if those questions are related. Should you continue in a relationship if somebody doesn't see you in the midst of your pain, but they expect the opposite in return? Depends on the nature of the relationship. If it's casual dating relationship, heck no. 
If it's a, if it's a marriage relationship, that's something you got to work out. That's something, that's something that's probably a counseling sort of related thing. So it depends on the nature of the relationship. Being seen in your pain, though, is one of the absolute prerequisites for a healthy relationship. And so I feel like, you know, that's a pretty significant battle to fight. It depends on the nature of relationship in terms of the advice you'd give. Is community important? It's absolutely critical. How much should it be valued? It should be valued, it, it should be valued as high as you can value anything. In the Christian community, um, there is a drastic need. And, and in American culture, there is a drastic need for deep and abiding, uh, honest relationships with other people. And so um, one of the things that churches sometimes do is they try to structure those and organize those. We choose to be a bit more organic with, organic with that, but it's absolutely critical, particularly if your, uh, your needs aren't being completely met by the person you're in a relationship with, to have other people around to help see you in the midst of your pain is absolutely central. So there you go. Again, the answers aren't the big deal to us. It's the questions that are so interesting. And so we love the fact that you are willing to raise them. Good morning, Sarah. All right. How'd I do? Yeah, okay. No, that was funny. That was totally applause line right there. Okay. All right. A uh, couple of things. Number one, um, we're going to start a series this morning. Um, and, and I realize that the only people that care about a new series in church are the people teaching it. I used to think you had to have new slides and new stage design and titles and, you know, and it's like nobody cares. You can barely remember what we talked about last week. So, so for those of you that are interested, um, it's, uh, I want I to go through, um, it's the blueprint for a revolution. It's Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. It is his most famous teaching and it is some of his most misunderstood stuff. And uh, we're just going to kind of meander through this, uh, taking breaks and doing other things. But a couple of things, though, before I dive in. Number one, um, when we have guest teachers, invariably certain things happen, and I just want to address them. When we have guest teachers here, um, some people will see that I'm not teaching and they will leave. And I just want to say, please don't do that. If you're only coming here to listen to my teaching, you can watch it on Facebook. You, well, you have podcasts, right? That's not why we gather. This is not an information dispensing organization, right? We are a community and a family that share the bread and the table together. That's the highlight of the service. That's not the teaching. If you leave, because Bonnie came out a couple weeks ago and several people just got up and left, and I don't know if they left because it wasn't me or if they left because she was, uh, she's a woman, if you're offended by women teaching, then this is not the church for you, because we're going to do that a lot. And secondly, if, if this is a community where you're only happy if I'm teaching, then this isn't the church for you either. You can just tune in. We're interested in people who uh, are willing to set preference aside for the sake of something much more beautiful. So when we have guest teachers, and we will, just want to let you know we're still going to do that, and I want to build the kind of community that doesn't care. As long as the Bible's taught, as long as the, the people gather, as long as the name of Jesus is exalted, it's irrelevant whether or not you like it. You know, I mean, of course, we want you to like it, but, but whether Jesus likes it is more important. Would you agree with that? So we're, well, that's what we're going for. Okay. Scattered applause. Fantastic. All right. Now, we're going to start with a series out of Matthew um, 
called the Beatitudes. And these things, oh my goodness, these things are so misunderstood. I'm going to read, we'll put them up on the screen. I'm going to read, uh, N.T. Wright is a, is, a, is a dear personal friend of mine. And no, he uh, translates these, I think, really, really well. Because there's a, a confusing word, blessed are the... And, and sometimes uh, the word blessed doesn't get translated real well. Sometimes the word blessed can be translated happy or fortunate. I actually like the way N.T. Wright translates this. So let's go ahead and put up Matthew 5. Um, somebody, yeah, there you go, perfect. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. That's why they call it Sermon on the Mount. He was not riding a horse. And Jesus sat down. Jesus' disciples came to him. So he's teaching his disciples, and he began to teach them. And he said, wonderful news for the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wonderful news for those who mourn, you are going to be comforted. Wonderful news for the meek, you're going to inherit the earth. Wonderful news for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be satisfied. Wonderful news for the merciful, you will receive mercy yourselves. Wonderful news for the pure in heart, you will see God. Wonderful, bless you. Wonderful news for the peacemakers, you will be called God's children. Wonderful news for those who are persecuted because of God's way. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Wonderful news for when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I like that idea that it's, see, when we talk about Jesus and saying like blessed are the poor in spirit, that doesn't capture what Jesus is doing. Jesus is announcing the already present blessing on the poor in spirit. He's not saying, man, I hope you're blessed or you'll be blessed someday. It's like, no, I've got good news for, for those of you who are poor in spirit. I've got good news for, the, for you who mourn. I've got good news for those of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So he's announcing and giving uh, divine favor upon things that are already present in people. See, very often these things are taught like, well, you've got you've to be poor in spirit, and then you've got to mourn, and you've got to learn to be meek, and you've got to be persecuted, and then you'll experience God's blessings. That's not at all. And this, this is how they're mostly taught. Hey, guys, let's be poor in spirit together because you receive blessing when you do it. Hey, guys, be glad when you're persecuted, right? Seek persecution. So let's go be jerks out there in the world, right? I mean, it's like, no, no, no. This is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is announcing the already present favor upon people for whom it was thought the, that favor existed elsewhere. In other words, he was announcing the presence of divine favor on people that it was surprising to hear that divine favor rested on. These were not groups of people that were considered blessed in the first century. And yet what Jesus is announcing is both a present reality and a future blessing for a certain kind of person that was surprising to everybody else. See, I mean, it was thought in the first century uh, that if, if to be blessed meant you were male, you were Jewish, you were wealthy, and you were righteous. And here Jesus is announcing blessing on folks that didn't meet all of those criteria. So what I want to do is I want to go through each one of these. Now, look at me. I know, kids. I know. You're, you're angry at your mom right now. I got it. Thank you for being here and honoring her. I got it. This is so important. When we read these, look at me. 
This is not a list of things to do. This is not a list of character qualities uh, that somehow comprise an ethic that we're to embrace. These are not laws. So often they're read this way. Instead, and this is so important, Jesus is having a very Jewish conversation with his disciples about who inherits the eschatological promises of God. Now, eschatological is a big word that just simply means that moment in time when God decisively intervenes in human history to make things right. Who inherits all of the promises? See, Israel was wrestling with this question. Rome was in power over them, and there were all sorts of takes on how Israel should respond. And so Jesus, Jesus speaks into this, announcing God's favor and blessing upon groups of people that were not considered very relevant to this conversation, all right? So I want to go through each one of these just briefly, and I want to show you how they relate to a Jewish conversation. They don't relate to necessarily, hey, here's the be happy attitudes, Right? That's not what this is. This is not individual ethic. This is not a list of to-dos. This is something far more subversive, okay, than that. All right, are you with me? All right, so let's go through each one real quick. All right, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is so interesting. This, uh, this phrase comes from Isaiah 61. Go ahead and put that up. Notice... Because Luke has just poor, blessed are the poor. Matthew has blessed are the poor in spirit. They're referring to the same group of people. It comes from uh, Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to pre- pre- proclaim good news to the, to the poor. And poor here, yes, includes economic, the economic disadvantaged. But it's a bigger category. It means all of those who have to depend upon God. All of those who are humble who don't have their life put together so that they're self-reliant, self-righteous, self-sufficient. All right, so you could substitute humble here. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who what? And to provide for those who what? Grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of of ashes, the oil of joy instead of what? And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of what? This, Isaiah 61, it belongs to a prophecy about the restoration of Israel and the return of the Lord to Zion following the Babylonian exile. So, So here's what it's saying. The poor in spirit, and then the next one, those who mourn, this has to do with those people who grieve the state of Israel still in exile. Even though they're in the promised land and Rome's over them, this part of Isaiah has to do with God's restoring Israel to the land and to its former glory. And so when we read about poor in spirit, it's not just, hey, generally the poor or generally the humble. It's specifically written to those people who hunger for God alone to be king over Israel and for Israel to be restored to its glory. Make sense? So this is a Jewish thing. 
It's not just an attitude we pluck out of here and say, hey, I'm a 21st century America. How can I grow in my walk with Jesus? Oh, gee, I'll be poor in spirit because I'll be blessed. No, it's, it's something different than that. Who inherits the land? Who inherits the great promises of the Old Testament? Jesus is, is totally subverting the dominant thinking of the day by using a phrase like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Wonderful news for the poor in spirit. Or, next one, go to the mourn. Those who mourn. What did we just read about mourning? Who were the mourning? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What were they mourning over? Zion, which is a fancy great job, a fancy way of saying Jerusalem, which is a fancy way of saying Israel. So it's not just people who are sad who will be comforted, because that's how we hear it, right? Hey, if you're sad, you'll be comforted. And I think that's probably true. But it's specifically written about those who grieve over the state of Israel. And those who hunger for its restoration. Is this making sense? One of the things, if you're like, I don't even get this. One of the things I just want you to see is how very American and how very individualistic we read our Bibles. What Jesus is doing here is talking about who inherits all of the great promises of the Old Testament about Israel. And it's not the people that you would think. Now, obviously, this has relevance to us. We'll get to in a second. But the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, and the second one, blessed are those who mourn, have to do with those people who are lamenting the state of Israel, its disobedience, the injustice in it, the fact that God isn't king alone over Israel, the fact that Rome is still in power. Make sense? All right, go, uh, if we would, let's go to the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this comes, I know you're fascinated. I can feel your boredom. Psalm 37. This comes from Psalm 37. Notice, the meek are juxtaposed to the wicked here. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, for when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the what? The land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the what? And enjoy peace and prosperity. Now, what land are we talking about? What land are we talking about? If you're Jewish and you see the word land, what land are we talking about? Israel. Right? They're still fighting over the land. Right? 2,000 years later, who inherits the land? The meek. Who are the meek? Well, they're the opposite of the, the wicked. The meek, the humble, those that refrain from violence. See, Jesus is painting a picture of a kind of person that waits upon God to act instead of taking upon themselves violence, which some in Israel wanted to do, or taking upon themselves self-righteousness, which some in Israel did. Jesus is announcing divine favor on groups of people, but, but you can actually kind of lump them together into a kind of person that waited for God to do what God would do. Go, if you would, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
This comes from, comes from Psalm 107. This is about God and Israel repossessing the land. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those are redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he, hunger, or those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. These are people who look forward to being regathered in the, in the land. I mean, again, I know you're thinking, okay, who cares? I just want to show you, when Jesus starts off, we want to turn this into individualized, like, spiritual, sort of ethical rules, and it's like, no, no, no. This is about the kind of person who inherits the great Old Testament promises. Merciful, they will be shown mercy. This, uh, I think, comes from Hosea, when, when, um, when Hosea writes, uh, I desire mercy, says the Lord, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And there's this great um, line, uh, next slide, that if blessed or the merciful also has this passage from Hosea as its subtext, the words from Hosea actually point to a context of judgment against Israel. Um, in other words, the merciful are those who uh, fight against injustice. Uh, the merciful are those who care about how Israel treats each other. The merciful are those people who, um, who will be shown mercy. Why? Because mercy in God's eyes is better than sacrifice. So here's the picture we're getting. All of these individual things paint a picture of the kinds of people who inherit the, debate, the, the great promises of God. Now, skip. I don't know who's doing slides, but skip all the way to the end. The last slide, the Beatitudes, are the antithesis. There we go. Now, how does this relate to us? Are you, have I made the one point enough? I mean, I'm, I'm cutting some stuff out because you look like you're... It looks like you got it. And maybe you had it like 10 minutes ago, but... It's incredibly important you see, before this applies to us, what Jesus was doing. Jesus was subverting the idea of who gets to inherit, the, who, who's the real Israel? Who gets to inherit all the promises of the Old Testament? It wasn't the powerful, it wasn't the righteous, it wasn't the violent. It, it wasn't uh, the people that thought they had a clear agenda, it was the people who were in mourning over the state of Israel. It was the people who were poor in spirit. It was the people interested in peacemaking. It was the people who were interested in mercy. It was the people who, would have, who Israel would have decried as weak and marginalized and outcast. The people who had nothing of value. Those were the people who are going to inherit this whole thing. And so I love this line. When you juxtapose greatness in Jesus' sight with greatness in American culture. Pretty interesting, right? The Beatitudes are the antithesis of what America has come to adore. So, instead of poor in spirit, what do we love? Money, ego, what else? Power, success, achievement, boasting, glory, right? We love it, we love it, those are our heroes. Instead of mourning, what do we love? Lording it over somebody. We love celebrating. We love superficial. We love skimming over suffering. Those who are suffering, we kind of relegate to, 
you know, hospitals or nursing homes or facilities, right? Instead of meek, what do we love? Strong, powerful, achievers, type A personalities, right? Entrepreneurs, right? What's that? Busy. Busy? Oh, boy, busyness is a sign of awesomeness. Always said that. And so we can't just rush to what this means to us. What we have to do is we have to sit in the fact that Jesus is having a very Jewish conversation, first and foremost, because the big debate was, okay, well, who's going to inherit the land? Who inherits the kingdom? And Jesus says, hey, 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 all of those of you who feel like this isn't your home, and because it's not your home, you're sitting there waiting for God to do something decisive in action, okay, it's for you. It's, in fact, to some degree, it's already yours, right? So these things are incredibly subversive to the narrative Israel was telling itself. But it's also subversive to what we think is what God's looking for, right? I'm going to do great things for God, I hear people say. Nobody ever says, I'm going to do small things for God, right? But what if God's call calls you to do small things? Faithful to your spouse, good at your job, kind to your kids, a good neighbor. What happens if it's that? What happens if, if instead of doing magnificent things that are noteworthy in journals and pastor conferences, God just invites you, as, as Paul wrote, to live a quiet life, to work with your hands and to be at peace with all people? What happened to that? I mean, there's just sense. I mean, particularly our sweet millennials who are ready to change the world. What if God just isn't asking you to change the world? What if he's just asking you to be faithful in the little things that you got sitting before you today? What if it's that? See, we'll all nod and give lip service to the fact that God loves the humble but opposes the proud. And then we spend our whole weeks building up this false image uh, through which we can be proud, right? I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So the manifesto, the blueprint for revolution that Jesus inaugurates is announcing divine favor upon the outcasts, upon those that just simply aren't happy with the status quo. And I would imagine that's a whole bunch of us, correct? And who, instead of turning to violence, instead of turning to anger, instead of turning to power, we just cry out, God, come, change this. God, where are you? Why do you wait so long? Evidently, those are the kinds of people who inherit the kingdom. And for me, this is such needed counter-programming. Because I'm immersed. I mean, my personality is this way, but I am immersed uh, in my imaginings about glory and strength and honor and Maximus and gladiator and braveheart. <laughs> and the things that God keeps immersing me in are things like humility and weakness and dependence. And I hate them all. I hate them. And I resist him. I had somebody speak some words over me. Somebody that I don't know, who doesn't know me, but is just very gifted at discernment. And they said, 
There were five words. Fear, shame, anger, control, and pride. And man, those words were spoken and I was like, yep. And I've realized I talk so much about surrendering, but I don't, I don't know how to. I don't want to. And I talk so much about God's goodness, but I don't believe it, you know? And this revolution begins with God confronting what it means to be great, what it means to be significant, what it means to be important. And, and I just sit and I think, if you get a whole people, a whole group of people, whole group of people who instead of turning to politics or religion or morality or anger or judgment or control or pride, but who are willing to limp together and walk in weakness, man, imagine what God can do through that crew of people. And so it just seemed like a fitting place to start for us, for me, to sit and go, okay, what's it mean to walk in weakness? What's it mean to walk in meekness, humility? What's it mean to walk in um, being dissatisfied? I wish, I wish life, I could make it, I could control it. Anybody with me on that? I, I really wish I could control this thing. And, and I've realized so much of my anger comes because I want to control. Why do I control? Because I'm afraid. And I sit and I go, dang. And I know this is not therapy, although I should, I should pay you. Um, <laughs> But this is what I'm learning, right? This is just where I'm walking. And I'm like, dang. Oh. And so I wonder if so much of the anger we see in our world, fist fights now on airplanes, road rage, if so much of that comes fundamentally from a place where we feel out of control, uh, we realize there's nothing, uh, there's not much we have control over. And instead of surrender, what we try to do is we fight and we clutch and we grab. How do we unlearn these things? And so for me, this is where it starts, with a Jesus who, contrary to so much of the thinking of his day, announces wonderful news on people who weren't happy. That's the thing. When you make these the be happy attitudes, that's totally wrong. These people weren't happy. They weren't satisfied. That was the point. And here comes King Jesus saying, no, 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 I've got great news for you. My kingdom is made up of such as these. Welcome. It's for you. So I want to pray. We'll do some singing. And then we'll gather and we'll take the Lord's Supper together, all right? Lord Jesus, we bless you. We love you. We honor you. Lord, these words confront us not only with the ways in which um, we want to prop ourselves up, but they confront us with the ways in which we, we don't believe defined favor rests on uh, outcasts and, and marginalized folks. We, we just don't believe that. And so we strive and we clutch and we grab. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would present yourself so beautifully to us um, that we would be willing to relinquish our futile attempts at control and to deeply believe that you are good and that you are beautiful and that we are safe in your hands regardless of what happens. 
And so for my brothers and sisters, God, would you, would you forge us into a community that begins to live in these realities? And thank you for the sweet kids who've sat through this, thinking about what they're gonna have for lunch, playing games on their apps. Bless them, Jesus, particularly if they've got a gray sweatshirt on right now. <laughs> Amen. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he said, take and eat, this is my body given for you. And then he took a cup, wine, and he gave thanks, blessed it, and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, take it and drink. And then Paul adds in 1 Corinthians 11 that whenever you take this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so for us, we're a community that's built around the Eucharist. Um, Eucharist just is a way of um, not only reminding but participating in this global revolution that Jesus inaugurated. We come not because we're worthy. We come not because we've got it together. We come not because we're self-reliant or self-righteous. We come because we're in need. We come limping. We come crawling. We come walking. But we come, and it doesn't matter who you are or what you call yourself, we come to be reminded of what Jesus has done and who he is, that his beauty, his majesty manifested itself in his sacrifice for us. And so um, for, for us, this is the most important thing we do together. This is the highlight of my week, to watch our family take the bread and the cup together, no matter what your political views, no matter what your economic status, no matter how life's going, there's something about the bread and the cup that remind us we're part of something far bigger than just what our immediate concerns are. And so this gives us the opportunity just to proclaim the good news about Jesus every week. And so um, we wanna invite you in just a moment to come to the bread and the cup. You take some bread, you dip it in the cup and you take and eat. You can take it and eat together or individually. Um, Gluten-free taking and eating happens over in that corner over there. And, um, and then you also notice some things next to the, next to the table. We, um, we are huge fans of just being honest about where we're at, and so people will write down prayer requests or th- great news. I mean, that's one of the very cool things that's happening is we're hearing people say, hey, this prayer thing actually works every now and again. And, um, and so uh, they'll kind of write down a bit of what's going on, and we encourage you to do that. We, we have a whole team of people that prays over these every week. Um, so it's, you take some paper, you write down, you fold it up, and you place it in one of those little slots. We also have next to that um, these prayer shawls, and uh, this is a reminder of the woman in the Gospels that fights through a crowd to touch just the hem of Jesus' robe because she believed there was healing right there. And uh, we don't think there's power in the prayer shawls, we just think there's power in the symbolism of grabbing the edge and crying out for God to, to deliver, to rescue, to heal. And then for those of you that um, are warring against consumerism and fighting to embrace generosity, we have participation boxes around the room if you want to do that. But this is really our time to respond. If you're our guest, you're more than willing to sit, to stand, to not do anything, of course. Uh, There's no pressure. Um, But for those of us who are uh, regulars, this is our time to respond to what it is that we've heard and to engage in the act of worship together through all of these different ways. So let me pray and then we'll continue to do just that. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, would you draw us to yourself? Would you strip away all of the subculture stuff, all of the, 
all of the traditions that have grown up around the good news concerning you. And would you allow us just to glimpse the unvarnished beauty and glory of you. Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus to us? Reveal the great love that welcomes us at the table, the great relentless pursuit of each and every one of us, not because you wanna turn us into rule keepers, but you wanna set us free to be fully human. You wanna restore us and rescue us. God, you say in the scriptures to cast our anxieties upon you because you care for us. And so would this be a moment of release for some of what we're carrying together? But more than anything else, Jesus, would you form us into a community that looks like you and talks like you and believes like you believe and that reflects um, how beautiful you are. And so to that end, we present ourselves to you now in the name of our Christ, amen. You guys are pretty good. You should maybe think of doing this, you know? I mean, take it on the road. And... So that's Izzy's mom, not Izzy's older sister. Sorry to ruin that. All right, my brothers and sisters, stand up. We have goodies out on the patio for all the single ladies and all the married ladies, all the ladies. There are treats for you guys, sorry. You get to uh, pick up the crumbs, um, which, you know, what else is new, right? Um, we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Um, Dumbrows, I'm going to come over and give hugs, so be ready. Tony, be ready because I know you love that. Um, other than that, I think that's all we got. We got treats, and that's it, right? Anything? New album? Right? That was fun. Lorraine started that. Lorraine started that. All right, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and in these days, may he give you peace. Amen? And amen. Go! Say hi to somebody as you leave. I get, I get Dumbrows. I get him. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.